2, and we're going to start with verse 11 and move to 22, Ephesians 2 and 11. Sometimes Paul runs together for me. Notice these words from St. Paul to the church at Ephesus. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your holy Word. Lord, would You make the next few moments sacred to our hearts? Lord, would we be able to have ears to hear Your Spirit's voice in us? And would You make us, O Lord, into Your vessels your buildings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past four Sundays, we have prepared our hearts for Christmas. Uh, that's what Advent is about, is preparation for Christmas time. Now, obviously, uh, last week, we celebrated Jesus' birth uh, on Christmas Day. And this is the fulfilling of many prophecies, and it is our hope. Uh, It is our salvation, what He did on that day, becoming a baby. And we've talked a little bit about that, about the incarnation, God incarnating Himself in the flesh. And even on your bulletin today, we have the nativity scene, which has many different symbolic things represented there in it. Um, And you have the angels, you have the wise men on the left coming up the, the mountain there on their horses, you have the the livestock that were there with Jesus the night He was born, and Mary, uh, and of course baby Jesus in the manger. And um, down at the bottom you've got Joseph, and he's, he's doubting, and Satan is tempting him. And you've got also Jesus' first bath, because He was a real baby, and He needed a bath. And so, then you've got the shepherds on the right. And, uh, and, and everything at this time, the nativity scene, all these different colors that we've had over, over Advent, it's not over yet. Uh, it's not over yet. We're still in Christmas time uh, as far as the season of our church. 
and, and as far as our celebration is concerned. But here's what I want to do is today I want to culminate. I've been building for four Sundays and now I, want to, now I want to reveal something else about the four Gospels that we begin to find here in Ephesians that puts together a whole picture of Jesus Christ and it's represented truly in this little fish. You may have never known this. Uh, you've probably seen this uh, symbol before. Really it's a little more... Um, you know, this one you can't just, it's, it's a hole, obviously, in a coin. But, uh, but the real symbol, you know, just runs two lines, one doing this, and they cross at the back, making a tail for the fish. And it's called now the Jesus fish, but really it's called ichthus, which is actually an acronym uh, for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So this is what this little fish actually means when you see it on somebody's car or you see it out and about or, or whatnot. It was actually an early symbol in the Christian church that you were a Christian brother or sister. So in other words, you know, in the early church they actually were persecuted for their beliefs much like they are in other parts of the world today such as China, such as parts of the Middle East. We heard that 35 Christian families uh, were killed um, over the Christmas um, weak and uh, and we and we grieve with them. Those are our brothers, even though they may be Saudis, even though they may be from the Middle East. They're still our brothers and sisters. They love the same Jesus. They live by the same creed we do. Um, and and so so all these you know all this culminates in Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything we're doing. And this is what this little fish means. And so when the early church was being persecuted, of course Jesus is the center of everything they do as well. So how do they get this message out? How do they leave messages for each other, letting each other know, "Hey, I'm a Christian." Because, you know, you didn't just go around saying, "Hey, I'm a Christian." You know, because then you get put in prison, put in or killed immediately. Um by the Romans. So here's one thing they would do is actually they would draw the one part of the line. So I'm at work with Garrett. I draw one part of the line in the sand, you know, with my foot. Well, he sees it. He goes, oh, okay. Right on. He draws the other part, which completes the fish. Which completes the ichthus, which means Jesus Christ, God's Son, saviors a secret message in the early church to each other that they were Christians. Um, and so it's a really neat thing. There's also 27 letters in the Greek when you spell it out, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Uh, there's 27 letters, which is also means 3 times 3 times 3, which kind of represents the Holy Trinity, but also 27 books in the New Testament. So it's kind of a neat little, little thing there. This little fish is actually maybe a little more than you've ever thought before. If you ever wonder why this fish is a, is a symbol of our Christianity, it's because of that. It actually is an acronym. The I meaning Jesus, Jesus. Uh, the C-H would be Christ, uh, coming from Christos. Uh, of course, the TH in ichthus uh, is actually theta, which is the first letter of theos for God in Greek. And of course, uh, the U, or even sometimes represented by the Y, is uos, which is sun. Um, and then the S is the sigma for soter, which is savior. So Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's what ichthus means. So if you ever see a fish, tell somebody, say, hey, that's ichthus. Say, what? Most people have not, you know, I went into a Christian bookstore last night and said, do you have any of the ichthus uh, symbols? They said, what? I said, the fish. Ah. You know, so we, so we, we got the fish part down, right? But we, we've missed the meaning. Have you ever noticed how in church a lot of times that that happens? 
You know, we've got we got a cross, don't always know the meaning. We've got altar, don't always know the meaning. We've got candles, Advent stuff going on, colors, don't always know the meaning. You know, I, I'm in the business, so to speak, of making sure that we know the meaning of what we're doing, not just doing it out of routine. Uh, it's good to remind ourselves sometimes of what it is we're doing. And, and also, we, we ought to know why we do what we do. I mean, you've got a fish in your back car and you don't even know what it means. You know, what, what, what's that all about? So, so we need to know why we believe what we believe. And here in, in, in uh, Ephesians, Paul begins to lay out some things and, and really challenge us today. But I wanted to start off with just kind of this acronym of ICTHUS. Jesus Christ, Jesus being His personal name, Christ being His title. Remember, His last name's not Christ. That's the title given to Him. So Jesus Christ, God's Son, that's dealing with His nature, who He is. He's God's Son and in Savior. That's what He is to us. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, starting with 11. He says, look, remember. Remember. And at the end of a year, it, I don't know if you find yourself, but I find myself always remembering. I look back and I say, what have I done for a year? Right? In 2013. I mean, where did all my time go? Uh, what did I accomplish? What did I want to accomplish that didn't get accomplished? You know, at the beginning of a year, I try to write down a couple things, you know, um, to try to say, hey, I would like to do these things, you know, in, the, in, in 2014. For instance, I, I want to do a triathlon, another one, a bigger one. So that's, that's one thing I want to do. Um, now, if I write that down, I actually stick it on my wall in my office and I look at it all year long. You know, I've got, I got like four things last year that I had. One was have uh, for Jessica and Ty, she was still pregnant, uh, to have a good birth and for him to be a healthy baby. Boom. Praise be to God. That happened. Um, I pray for our church to grow. Boom. That happened. Praise God. You know, uh, I, I, and I had a couple other things. And all of them got accomplished except for one. And, and uh, you know, we still got another day or so. So I'm, I'm, I'm praying that one will work out as well. Um, but, but here's the thing is, you know, you find yourself reflecting. Remembering. Back on what 2013 held for you. What you did in 2013. That's a good thing the Bible says. We ought to remember. Um, it's often said that the Jews walked into the future looking back. This is how they walked into the future. Because they were so concerned with their history. Now you know why. is because their history is our history. And if they had not preserved their history, we would have not the Old Testament. We would have not the prophets and their writings and their prophecies. So it's a good thing that they were so concerned with history. Uh, but we need to be concerned about our own history. We need to be concerned about our own lives. We need to remember at the end of the year what God has done. And we also need to remember the time, as Paul says here, when we used to not be with Jesus Christ, when we were separate from Him. Do you remember those days when you were without God? Or the times where we know that we have sinned and have separated ourselves from God? Those are dark moments. Those are moments where we don't want to return. We want to join ourselves to Christ. And so, having no hope is the next thing he talks about here. And what is having no hope? Having no hope is having no God. Being without hope is being without God. And so we have God, we have hope. So if 
2013 was dark? Was it bleak? Uh, or 2014 maybe doesn't look good for you? I don't know. It's up in the air. I mean, look, Jessica and I have lived many years where it was kind of up in the air. We didn't know what we were going to do that year. We didn't know if we were going to make it through the year without having to move or something of that sort or get another, get another position or seek something else. We didn't, you know, we've, we've lived like that in our marriage. We're going to be celebrating 10 years in 2014, uh, married together, uh, 11 of knowing each other. And so we've been through ups and downs where, where some years did not look hopeful, quite frankly. But listen, with God, there's hope. It's just that simple. Without God, no hope. With God, there's hope. Did you not hear that, that verse I read at the very end of our, our letter to you as a family? It says, look, you will reap if you do not fail God. It's just as simple as that. Stay faithful to God and He will reap a harvest with you. It will happen. It may take years. You know, Bob, Bobby and I have actually talked about this and he's encouraged me with this for six years. And it's, look, when the Lord is ready, when we're ready to break the surface as a plant, as a church, as a church plant, uh, we'll break the surface. It takes a while for a plant to germinate, a seed to germinate, doesn't it? You drop it in the ground you're like, man... All that work I did plowing and planting, huh, I don't see anything. And all of a sudden, one day, it breaks the surface. starts making its way out. starts spreading its leaves. Start getting a thicker trunk. That's, that's where we're at. We've broken the surface. We're standing on our own now as a church. Not being propped up by other churches right now. We're standing on our own finally. This is the first year we've been able to do that and say that. But now it's time for us to branch out. It's time for us to strengthen our roots. It's time for us to strengthen our, our core, which our core is Christ. Our roots, as Paul says here, our foundation is actually made of the apostles and the prophets. Now what is that saying? That's the Bible. That's the Bible. The Bible is written by prophets, Old Testament, and apostles, New Testament. It's also meaning the church. The church is our foundation. So we don't stand as, as a new church just on our own. No, we stand in a rich tradition. I hope you know by now, uh, through, through even the music that Rachel brings to us, that there's a rich tradition, even as she was speaking of it t- today. I mean, going all the way back to St. Patrick, that's a three, four hundreds. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but look, our family is rich in heritage. Our family is God's family, the church. We're not seeing ourselves as, as superior to other people. We're seeing ourselves in step with what the Spirit is doing in the world. In step with the church in China, Africa, and so on and so forth. South America. So we need to remember these things. We need to have hope and put our hope for 2014 as a people and as a church in God. Notice also Paul's concern for the incarnation again. He talks about the blood. Look at this in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... Now, let me just give you a little tip on Paul. Paul loves to say in Christ or in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. He's all about prepositions, especially in. Uh, So notice this, this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood... Of Christ. So because he became a little baby, he took on blood. 
And because of that blood, we can draw near to God. We don't have to be far from God. You don't have to feel like you are far from God. His blood draws us near. Now again, like we talked about last week, that's a little odd, isn't it? Blood, a focus on blood. That's why the early Christians, they were mistaken for cannibals. They thought they were doing cannibalistic things in their meetings because they were talking about eating people's flesh and drinking their blood. And hey, we could be mistaken for that. Uh, but here's the reality. That's been handed down to us as reality. His, again, if you look at your, your bulletin, it looks like the manger is an altar, which is exactly what we offer to you in communion. Christ's body and His blood. And, and Paul says, look, that's what draws us near. And so he says, look, for He Himself is our peace. First thing is, we need peace. We need peace in here, right? I mean, yeah, we talk about peace in the Middle East. You know, that was a big thing when I was in school. Peace in the Middle East. You guys remember? Some of you guys remember that? Yeah. Uh, some of you don't. It's like my... my <clears throat> Here's the point I knew I was getting old is when I asked my students, I said, I said, you guys remember that just dreaded, awful morning of 9-11? They're like, man, I was four. I'm like, what? You were four? Seems like yesterday to me. Um, so I am getting old, but... Peace in the Middle East? Yeah, we need peace in the Middle East. Yeah, we need peace around the world. But you also need peace in your heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? In here sometimes can get all out of whack. In here can be disruptive. You can be unfocused. You can be all over the place. I mean, you may look nice. I mean, everybody looks nice now. You look great. Um, But in here, you could be a disaster. You could be all over the place. Jesus wants to give you peace. Sounds simple, but that's a real gift. And here's the catch. The only way to get peace is to get Him. Because He is peace, Paul says. He Himself is our peace. That means no matter what you've done, no matter what you've got yourself tangled into, guess what? You can run to Jesus. That... That is really good news because I get myself messed up sometimes, tangled up in some things that I shouldn't have. And you know what? Jesus has always been there for me. Every single time. He, other people may not be ready for, for that, to hear that or to help me, but He is always ready to help me. And that is peaceful. That can bring peace in the midst of raw chaos. He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Again, this is why He took on flesh, was to be our Savior. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Also, it was to reconcile us unto God, Paul says, in verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Again, Jesus' body saves us. I don't know if you ever stopped just think about this, but His actual body, glorified body, is what sa- He Himself is our Savior, right? And only Jesus can save. That's why we must call on Him. That means His person, His body that is in heaven today, that He lived through for 33 years and laid down for us and took it up again, resurrected in heaven. His body 
saves us. A real person that we'll get to meet one day. That you'll have to meet one day. (laughs) Uh, There's no way around it. Everybody's going to meet Jesus one day. That's why you shouldn't be ashamed of His name. It's almost almost taboo today to talk about Jesus. Oh, don't say that word. My goodness. You don't want to to talk about Jesus. It's too controversial. You're going to have to talk about Him one day because you're going to be right before Him. Right before His face. And if you're ashamed of Him, then He'll be ashamed of you. You don't want that. Jesus again preached peace, (laughs) Paul says, and it came through His cross. One body, one cross. Your body must be on the cross as well. When you're on the cross, you're not in control of your life. God is. You've relinquished your power. Have Have you realized yet? I know that you have. That you can't do it on your own. You can't live this life on your own. <laughs> the sooner you realize that, the better. The harder you struggle to try to do it, you can't do it. He is our peace. He is our hope in 2014. But we must be willing to die to ourselves. Again, we're a seed, right? When you throw a seed into the ground, what if it just wanted to remain a seed? I'm going to remain a seed. Oh, all this... All this soil is trying to germinate me and break me down and and, and make me into a plant, but I'm going to refuse it. Jesus says, look, if a grain of wheat just stays in your hand, it just remains a grain of wheat. But if it falls into the ground and dies, then it will be a plant growing up that produces much fruit for other people. So, you can live for yourself and just get yourself in the end. That's what hell is, getting yourself for all eternity. Being by yourself in total darkness, utter darkness. Yourself. Or you can die to yourself today, this year, and live for God and other people, and you will find joy and riches unspeakable. To live for yourself is not satisfying. I just read of a tycoon, somebody Wilson, investor worth over $800 million, gave away all his money and then jumped off a building. Killed himself. Gave away all his $800 million to different charities and then jumped off a building in New York. You know. No, living for yourself, and I'm not saying he was, but living for yourself is not worth it. It's not worth it. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much fame you have, what... It's not worth it. Living for God, living for others, that's where joy is to be found. Joy is one of those things where you can't get it with money. It's like love. Can't get it with money. Can't get it by grasping, demanding. You can demand somebody loves you, but it's not really going to help, is it? You can't demand that... You know, I used to get so frustrated with my brother... Because I would want him to play with me on something, you know? Man, will you please play with this right? You know, boys do it all the time. They're like, no, I want to do this. I'm like, I want you to do this. You know, no matter how much you demand it, it's only going to turn them away more, isn't it? They're just going to jab it at you, you know? That's, that's how people work. You can't demand love. You can't demand joy. 
But when you live for other people, when you live for God, that's when joy comes. It's a, it's a product of your love for God. And all of this, every bit of this, Paul will remind us here in 22, in Him, through Him, <laughs> it's only in Jesus that any of this, this happens. If, we're, if you're going to have a good 2014, if you're going to raise your kids right, if, you're, if your marriage is going to thrive this next year, if, if you're going to be a good friend, if you're going to be a joy-filled person, you've got to have Jesus at the center. That's all it is to it. It's not a cliche. It's not something old. This is something new. This is a new year, and we need to renew our relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only telling Him He's the center, but making Him our center. You know, Paul speaks here about building, and gives this building analogy, and I'm going to end with this. I've been building a lot here over Christmas. All right, not just, not just play sets, but also little toy sets and Legos and you just name it. I've just been like a Bob the Builder, you know. Um, and, I, and I have to read these little directions on these Legos and it gets so frustrating. You're missing one piece and it's like the whole thing won't fit together, that one piece. I've learned uh, over the Christmas break that you need, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, just by nature a builder, right? But I've learned that you need three things when you're building something, all right? You need a foundation. <laughs> You've got to have the foundation right. Because if you don't have the first few steps right, everything else is going to turn out to be a disaster, you know. That's why, that's why when they do a new building or like they're building new houses in our subdivision, they spend a lot of time on the dirt work. Why? Because you don't get the foundation right, the whole place is going to crumble. That's why. And what does Paul say our foundation is? Interestingly, the apostles and the prophets. Again, the Bible is our foundation along with the church. Now, who's our cornerstone? What is a cornerstone? Cornerstone is where you set up the foundation from. It's the point of reference. Who's our cornerstone? It's Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is the cornerstone. His foundation is His apostles and His prophets, the church. Alright? Here's the second thing you need, is you need instructions. <laughs> At least I do. And when you read those instructions, then it fits together. If you skip them, then I'm going back and saying, I understand why this works. Just like, why didn't you read the instructions? Oh, okay, I guess I've got to go back to step two then. Then I have to do more work because I skipped over the instructions. Sometimes in your life you may be finding that you're having to do more work trying to catch up because you didn't read the instructions. These are our instructions, and I want to challenge you just like I challenge the children. Read these instructions this year. If there's nothing else you do, say say to God, look, my New Year's resolutions is to read, pray, and get more involved with God's church. Those three things right there, those are foundational to your Christian life. Alright? So foundation, instruction, and then lastly, help. (laughs) I need help. Uh, When I'm building something, I need help. Uh, many, many times I need help and I can't do it myself. I wish I could say that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a one-man show. I am not. Uh, and so here's the reality is Jesus has provided us, has He not, with a helper. Actually, His name is Helper, Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit. 
So if you're going to if you're going to build something in 2014 for God and not just for yourself, if you're going to build up His kingdom, then you must have His helper who is the Holy Spirit. Alright? You must read His instructions. And you must be founded on God's foundation, which is His church, His Bible, His letter to us, His Word to us, and Jesus Christ Himself who is the cornerstone. Notice these last words from Paul. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's all by the Spirit and it's for God. Are you allowing Him to build a great temple, a mansion for Himself in here? Or are you leaving Him one door open, one room to go, hey, you can go to the guest room, but you can't get anywhere else in my heart. What's it look like in there? What's He building in there? I'm going to challenge you to let Him build a mansion for Himself. Let Him take control. Let Him knock out walls. Let Him do the renovating. And I'll also ask you this, this today, this question. Is Jesus Christ really the center of your life? We can all just, oh yeah, He is. Absolutely. Right on. But, but is He really? Is that what really motivates you in life? Is that what really pushes you through the hard times? Is, is that what you fall back on? Because your center is what you protect the most. Or is it leisure? Is it work? Is it pleasure? Is it fame? Is it recognition? What is your center? If it's not Christ, it'll fall. It'll fail. If it's Christ, He'll never fail. Amen.